The Inside Vegas Podcast on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network in the Inside Vegas Podcast. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code SGP100 when creating your account for up to a $1,000 bonus in free play. That's promo code SGP100. If you need a reload, enter promo code SGP50 for a 50% reload bonus. You Simple. You play, you win, you get paid. We're also brought to you by Odd Shark. Get free picks from the Super Computer and expert writing staff, as well as data-driven editorial content that you cannot and will not find anywhere else. Follow them on Twitter at Oddshark and check them out online at www.oddshark.com. Finally, we're brought to you by BetQL. BetQL is the only mobile app that gives you the best chance to beat Vegas, and now NFL lines are available on the app. The best PR is BetQL is free to download on your Apple or Android device. Head to betql.co to download the only app you need to make smarter bets. BetQL is brought to you by the makers of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. Again, that is the BetQL app, and go to betql.co to download the only app you need to outsmart Vegas today. Welcome into the Inside Vegas Podcast. Today is Friday, October 19th. Great week at sports as the Red Sox clinch the yet another World Series berth as we look forward to a Game 6 and Game 7, uh, possibly with LA and Milwaukee. Um, with the MLB season wrapping up, we are still just about halfway done. I can't believe it's halfway already with the NFL and NCAA season. For this week's episode of our Different Handicapper um, you know, kind of detailing different handicapping styles. We're building on the modeling uh, theme here. If you enjoy the episode with the white whale, uh, this one's going to kind of take that next level. Um, this uh, this guest, um, I'm sure some of you guys have seen him um, on social media, probably one of the most rapid risers uh, out there, to, for lack of a better term. Um, guy is absolutely blown up uh, with such amazing success, um, you know, building on um, the modeling version of baseball um, came from kind of the Joe Pita mold um, and trading bases um, and kind of expanded on that and, and built a model into next level and has translated that into unbelievable success. I mean, talking over 60, 70% uh, in both NCAA and the national football league. Um, you can find all of his work, of course, um, on his website, betitup.com, which provides free betting newsletters with basically the top five sides of the models. Everything um, that Barry Horst does uh, is pretty much free, um, which you know, speaking to what he has been able to accomplish um, with such a, an amazing run of success is, is such a testament to him. So again, as always, you can find him on Twitter at BarryHorse29. So hope you guys enjoy the kind of the next level look uh, for modeling, handicapping in the NFL and NCAA as well as we touch on baseball for much the first half. Um, the second half is all football and don't worry, we get you guys uh, with a consensus best bet for myself and Barry Horse. Hope you guys enjoy the pod. And now joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast is a guest that has been, I don't know if there's ever been more of a a quicker uprising in this little racket that we call social media and gambling, you know, quote unquote gambling Twitter at this point. And that's Barry Horse. And if you guys enjoyed the podcast with the white whale talking about modeling, uh, I feel like that we may, <laughs> we may take this one to the next level. Um, you know, maybe since the days of the original inception of the quote unquote model with Joe Peter, which again, I know that Barry kind of incorporates into his stuff. So I'm so excited to get into the, all of this stuff. Um, so let's start there, man. Barry, Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time, man. How how is everything in your world on this Monday after an NCAA and NFL week? <laughs> CP, thanks for having me, buddy. It's uh, really good. It's raining here. I'm, I'm out in Houston right now, and it's raining for like the first time I've been here, which is less than ideal, but love and life, everything's good. What how brought you? you out to Houston? <laughs> um, 
this uh this baseball team out here is uh <laughs> one I'm I'm fairly invested in. Yep. And uh I don't know. I uh no wife, no kids, no like real job or office to go to. So Sounds like you need just, to like, join me out in Vegas, out. brother. <laughs> yeah. I'll be out there funny. But uh just felt like the uh the most fun place to be right now, go to some games and uh watch the team play. That's I got a bunch of bunch of friends out in Texas too, so it's nice to see them. Yeah, man. And again, people that have been kind of following me, listening along, know that Houston is kind of my adopted team after the Red Sox, after Altuve and and um, ten to one on Houston last year. And again, um, you know, repeating is hard. So I guess we let's start there as we kind of break this down, man. Um, so when it comes down to modeling, right? And so. Uh, this modeling has always kind of fascinated me because I think that in some worlds, you know, model-based handicappers, they kind of trust their eyes. They go back and forth. They use the model as a guide. And that's really where you can kind of get in trouble because one, it defeats the purpose. If the model tells you something, um, when you start picking and choosing, I think that that creates doubt. It creates, you know, infinite amount of holes in the model. Um, so, you know, talking to model-based handicappers always really fascinates me. So I guess we'll start there when it comes to your handicapping, kind of what led you to choose the path of, you know, creating a model. And again, I'm not, I'm not asking you to kind of give away you know, what makes your model, um, your model, but I want to know kind of, you know, what shows you that specific path in handicapping when it comes to model-based handicappings. I know, uh, Joe Peter was kind of an influence on you in, in the trading base book, I think is, is sure. absolutely probably day one, um, in handicapping school is something that you need to read if you want to kind of take this more seriously, especially in major league baseball. Um, but what kind of led you down the path of modeling? Right. I would say like, honestly, instead of saying how I chose modeling as a way to sports bet, I really chose like sports betting as a way to use my modeling. Um, so I, I'm still young. I, I'm 23 years old. Um, but my freshman year of college, when I was 18, I was working for an NBA analytics company called Second Spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time was really tiny, but has grown quite a bit lately. And uh, basically, they're a company that works with all the tracking cameras in the roofs of all the arenas. Um, and so I was doing a lot of work for them that whole year for my first year of college, um, met a lot of really cool people and learned a ton. And that was sort of my intro to like machine learning, data science, some of these more, um, deeper, newer subjects in data mining and computer science. And, uh, I loved it. And like, surprisingly for me, as a, like a total sports junkie, mm-hmm. um, that nerd stuff, <laughs> quote unquote nerd stuff, which is also like, I've been a nerd my whole life too, but that was like more fun for me than watching all the basketball was like building some of these uh, predictive systems and writing some of the code and uh, working on the projects I worked on. And so basically like, (laughs) I don't remember the exact night, but it was just one random night in college. Uh, My roommates and I were watching just a disgusting amount of sports and we looked at each other like, wow, this is like borderline sad like we should probably be doing something effective with how much sports we watch whether yeah. even if we just start like a blog or any like do anything remotely productive with how much you're watching and uh for me it, it started to become obvious to me that i could use some of my technical skills and background in math and computer science to build different predictive models for sports betting mm-hmm. um and so that's sort of how I got into it. I, I never really like thought of my job as being like a sports better. Like that's what I wanted to do. I just, I knew I love sports. I knew I love math and computer science and uh, it was just kind of like a natural combo. Yeah, man, there's so many good things to, to break into what you just said, because I really, you know, there's, there's videos out there and there's people that just hate their nine to five job. Right. But they're such, you know, they're avid sports fans and they hate, you know, 
they're not trying to make and you know monetize things or make you know be productive at what makes them happy. Um, and again, I mean, as you know, I've been doing this full time in Vegas for a little over three years now, never been happier. And and so for you, I, you know, to kind of go down that similar path, that that was the same thing for me, right? I started, I was doing, you know. Fantasy, um, fantasy football, fantasy baseball for these stupid, you know, hundred dollar work leagues, you know, all this type of stuff with my friends putting in, you know, 40 hours of this, of research <laughs> for, for zero payouts. And so yeah. we kind of have that same background and thinking, you know, how can we actually, you know, monetize this and do this? Um, so to hear that is absolutely awesome. So let's, um, let's kind of, you know, talk about this. So when, uh, you know, being a numbers-based guy, right? And so obviously you have eyes and you watch sports as an avid sports fan. Mm-hmm. I've asked this question to every model handicapper and everyone is different. So I'm so excited to hear your answer is basically what do you do when essentially your model says one thing, um, but either your gut or your eyes or whatever the case may be um, says another. Um, just because again, as I touched on, it can kind of get you in a lot of trouble when you start, you know, the model is there for a reason to be kind of, you know, to be right. the end all be all. Uh, but yet, you know, when you, you know, something is disgusting, you know, the bills two weeks ago or the jets and things that you just look at, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I do this. And again, I know professional <laughs> betters out here. And, and the number one thing that, you know, that them or I will tell you is, yeah, you know, when you do this professionally, you're going to um, be on the side of a lot of gross teams very uh, early and very often. Um, right. So what do you do when kind of your eyes and, and that type of thing says one thing, but your model absolutely says another. Um, and again, we kind of tie this back into starting with the baseball season. Cause I know there's two teams you're probably going to want to bring up with that. <laughs> For sure. Uh, 999 times out of a thousand, I just blindly follow the model. So like, that's why I'm working thousand, not thousand, but like dozens, hundreds of hours of programming and work in between the seasons to like build this thing that I'm investing in. Right. Like I have put all this work, I've back tested it. And I, at the start of the season and making the decision, I am planning the trade that I am going to follow this system and this model basically blindly. Yep. And so now that I've planned that trade, all I have to do is trade that plan. So there's not like a ton that goes into it. In baseball, the two teams you alluded to, uh, which is Kansas City and Baltimore, the model, like all of us are all greedy for sure. Like, so the model would have won and been like really good, even if I just blindly bet on those two teams whenever Ted said to as well. Um, But I have like certain things that I can see and look at. And because I'm the one who built the model, I know certain things that may overlook. Um, And so both of those teams, I thought had such an insane lack of talent. Um, And and, and this is all actually, it's still numbers based. It's just not like some gut call that I just pull out my ass that like these teams suck. So I'm not betting on them. Or like some intangible thing where, oh, wow. It's like the Browns are... in the NFL from two years yeah. ago when, when the market says, you know, again, the value guys kind of got killed taking them every week because the market yeah. just didn't catch up uh, to how bad they were, you know? And so when they, their, their old school power numbers said, you know, there was three, four five points of value here, it still wasn't enough until the market kind of caught, actually the market didn't catch up um, until maybe this year of how, you know, how bad they were. So that makes a total amount, or, you know, total sense for your model to kind of do that in certain ways. Right. And like, like the worst team in baseball, usually every year is around a 400 team, maybe a little worse, but Baltimore was sub 300 this year. And <laughs> it, I, it, honestly, the model actually like it projects wind tools too, and is super helpful in futures. And I was on like Baltimore unders, like the model was still very anti Baltimore. I just believed it wasn't anti enough. And I just believed that this team truly had like, cause it, the way the model works is like looking for maybe teams that get unlucky or lucky in certain situations with how different plays are sequenced. And uh, 
when that that works when you assume like there's some level of like at least league average play on the team but <laughs> these teams just have so such a small number of average or better players on their teams that it, it's unfair to put like the same amount of expectations on them um and so i would never expect my model to project a team to go 290 for an entire mm-hmm. 162 game season yep. um and but with like different numbers i look at wrc plus a bunch of saver metrics like it was clear to me that baltimore had a chance to do that and that I was willing to accept the risk of potentially not winning the games instead of bet on them by avoiding the losses that would come with them too. And uh, with, with both teams, that the uh, if I had bet on them based on the model, both would have lost money uh, a good amount actually. And so that saved a little bit of money just just skipping over those two. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we'll we'll talk about this now because as I said um, in the beginning, I don't think there's anyone that kind of um, you know rose up quicker when it comes to um, you know social media <laughs> and gambling Twitter. And I really want to kind of talk about that because there's so much to dive into. And again, the aim of this podcast, you know, to to bring people inside Vegas for one, but to look at how social media has changed the game um, is kind of the other one. And I think yeah. you're you know an absolutely shining example of that. So I really want to talk about this because number one, I think that. Uh, well, let's just do this. Let's start with your background and kind of what led you to um, creating the Barry Horse account, you know, brand, all that type of stuff, and kind of how you got started on social media. And then we'll break that down kind of step by step. Sure. Um, I was sharing my baseball model this year just with like high school and college buddies. Yep. And uh, for anyone that is aware of me or like followed me during the season, it's, it's just this really like <laughs> pretty um, not easy to use Google spreadsheet that. Uh, is it's also like not really helpful for someone who's working a normal nine to five and can't watch line moves all day and like right. pay attention to when lineups come out. And so some of my buddies are saying, damn, I missed that play today. Cause I was like busy at work or something. I said, Oh, you have a good idea. Maybe I can text you guys. Or maybe then one of them brought up like the idea of just, just make like a, some Twitter we can follow you and then we'll turn on push notifications. Um, and I said, Oh yeah, whatever. I'll do that. And, uh, this was in May. So like it, it, May 20th, I think like it's still less than five months ago. Yep. And, uh, I said, all right, well, might as well, like, if I'm going to make this, like, I probably wouldn't be like too bad an idea to just like kind of share what I've been doing. Um, here's this tool you can follow me. So I posted on the, uh, the Reddit for Sportsbook, whatever mm-hmm. the subreddit and, um, just said like, Hey, here's what I've been working on for some of my buddies. I'm going to be tweeting out plays. Like this is how it works. If you want to follow, you can follow. And, uh, yeah, it, it won a lot, and now a bunch of people follow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, was Joe Pita, you know, I touched on this again, was that kind of an inspiration to you and kind of building upon that? Was that kind of the basis for the, the model's inception? Um, or was it just, you know, applying the principles of modeling that he kind of brought up, but everything else was kind of on your own? For sure, yeah. The pricing is all based, like, it, it and I've spoken to him since, like, it's, it's uh, <laughs> pretty much just straight-up plagiarism. Yeah. I'm not, like, ashamed to admit that, like, um, he's a, he's a really cool guy. Definitely one of my like mentors and, um, like the pricing schema of like calculating a win percentage for some team and pricing against the other is, uh, definitely just like the true mathematical way to do this. Um, and then some of the different like projection models and, um, like, I guess the inputs to that data is like a way more complex overarching, um, higher level like machine learning pure like model i guess yeah. um, and so that's that's sort of what i have made public um i do a lot of other stuff that's like 
more completely on my own with other sports uh, where I don't really have like, I wouldn't say it was like based on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for sure. Baseball, definitely trading bases. I can't recommend enough. And uh, yeah. I'd second that. That book is is absolutely out of this world. So let's talk about kind of specifics. And again, guys, we're go, we're going to get to college football. We're going to get to NFL. But I think that you know, with go, doing how well you did in baseball, it deserves a little bit, you know, a, a lot of airtime here. Um, so again, it's a little bit weird that you're. The, it's a definition of value, right? Because as I followed you this season, I mean, I would say what ninety percent of your uh, plays were on underdogs, and not just slight underdogs, um, huge underdogs. Mm-hmm. And so baseball is very weird, right? It's a game that's built on variance. It's a game that's built on randomness. That's what makes baseball baseball the worst team in the league against the best team in the league in a, a four or three game series, the worst team is still probably going to win one again, maybe unless you're Baltimore or Kansas city. But <laughs> with that being said, um, was that just, you know, again, there's baseball's weird, right? Because there, there's no value in a losing ticket, right? It's either a winner or a loss again. And I know you can, you can mess around with run lines, all that type of stuff like that. Um, but what kind of led you to, to, you know, find yourself playing so many high underdog, um, positions and not only that, but hitting them at, you know, an absolutely incredible, uh, rate. Math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so, like, basically, um, and like, not to correct you, but just just to be accurate, probably, and not that it matters either, but it's probably closer to maybe like seventy five percent. Yep. Just for like no keeping for how much we're on drugs. Um, I think like a general high level thesis for why this happens is just there's twenty seven outs in a baseball game for each team, and most teams have like at least average players. Um, to the point where, so, and like so much can change. Like we're we're swinging a piece of wood at a little ball that's like spinning really fast. Like it's an unbelievably hard thing to do, yep. and uh, so much is random, and so much can change and happen. That for there to be a really like long favorite price on a team, you need to be really damn certain that they're that much better at literally everything. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like the general thesis is like all of this is such a crapshoot that if there's some like way overinflated line on some team because of maybe some factor that doesn't really matter when the, like the underlying numbers say the game, yeah, they should be favored, but it's, it's closer to like a toss up, honestly, then there's a lot of value on betting the underdog. And so like, that's like the definition of value. Like I bet on a lot of teams that I literally don't expect to win. Yep. But that's that's I what I wanted to, to dig more than into. the line expects them to win. Yeah, that's what I wanted to dig into when I talk about value, right? Because when you do this type of underdog betting and that type of stuff, it's um, you know, more than just, you know, being sick that you have to place this type of bet, but you're placing bets when you're not necessarily expecting them to win and to kind of get over that hump, I think is, you know, that thought process is, a, is really hard for, um, you know, new recreational bettors to kind of understand. Um, can you just expand about, uh, expand out a little bit on that? Again, I know you just kind of did talking about how the variance in, in yeah. how baseball is so random, but just kind of that thought process and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I would bet on team, like I bet on teams this year that I gave like a 30% chance of winning the game. But if the Vegas line is giving them a line that translates to expecting them to win 20% of the time, then if you if that game was played a thousand times and you always bet on the underdog, even though you'd only win 30% of the time, you'd come out making money. Yeah. And so um, baseball is by far the best sport for this because you have such a long season with such a large sample of games to um, have like 
reap the rewards from like using this strategy of finding value over and over and over again. Yeah, baseball um, is such a a long game and such a stock market. Totally. And, and and the way yeah. that you know I handicap games in in baseball is um it's different, but it's similar to you. And the way that I do it is, I basically bet you know people you know some trends are absolutely useless. I agree with that, and some are are very very relevant. The thing is, is though you'll see somebody post a trend right and. That, you know, of course, inevitably, when somebody posts it, that particular trend loses that game. And then sure. people forget that that trend exists. They just got burnt. They never want to bet it again. So I bet the same, you know, I eliminate as much variance as I can, betting pretty much just the first five market. Um, and then I bet the same pitchers either on or against neither first five under or first five um, money line run line perspective. And so there's there's a little bit of similarities there. But the point to drive home with baseball, much different than football or really any other sport, uh, is that it's such a market-based, you know, long-term outlook. You can't, it, 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 I really believe that it's so similar to walking into a stockbroker's office and if you want to bet baseball for a weekend and asking him to, you know, to make money in that weekend over 162 games out of those yeah. two to three is just, it's not really possible. So you have to have that kind of long-term outlook outlook on baseball. I completely, completely agree with you there. Yeah. There's, you're not looking for locks of the week in baseball. You're not <laughs> looking for that anywhere, but especially baseball. Yeah, for sure, man. So let's, um, let's talk about this and kind of one thing that I did notice that's just unique that I think deserves some, some talking about is, uh, the structure of the model, um, and kind of how you arrive at this, because, you know, people may th- may look at this and think it's um, just a little bit different and, and kind of how you uh, quantify, you know, quote unquote unit size and things like that. And how do you kind of arrive at that? Again, talk about the baseball model when it was, you know, 8.45632 all the way to, you know, 14 point, whatever the case may be. Um, well, how does that kind of, you know, how do you kind of quantify your edge and kind of what leads you to those numbers of, you know, nine to 14 unit um, in that type of structure? Sure. So it's important to note that in football, I bet everything one flat unit. Um, football is way more chaotic and there's a way smaller level of certainty in my pricing and evaluation of every team and every player. And, uh, it's just a way more volatile sport. And because of that, to get overly cute with having differences of, um, how much you're betting on a game based on like your quote unquote confidence on a game is I've found overly granular. And if it's not, it's at least risky to the point that doing so could cause you to lose money than compared to if you just flat bet. Mm-hmm. But in baseball, A, like your model can be a lot better. Baseball is by far the most quote unquote modelable sport because every at bat is this isolated event where you have a lot of really defined outcomes and where you can like very fairly evaluate over a large sample who's who. So like you're very confident usually in what a player's true talent level is as you are with a team. And so the accuracy and confidence in your accuracy of your baseball model is typically going to be a lot higher than any other sport. And so because of that, I feel safe scaling unit size based on the confidence in that. And like another reason too, to do this is like, we were just talking about how long the season is. It's so long that, you're going to be way more likely to reap the rewards of like risking more on um, higher confidence plays. Because like if it was just a month long, a lot of like the big disagreements are going to be things I talked about, like teams I give a 45% chance to win, but the market gives them like a 35 or like even a 30% chance to win. And so like those are going to lose a ton. And if you're in just a short sample, then risking more on those even though like you're expecting them to lose, they have a, a higher amount of edge. Mm-hmm. 
it's way more likely that that could kind of screw you, like getting overly cute by trying to dial it into that level. But because you have such a long season, it's worth it in my experience and in my back testing. And as I track this year in baseball, it's kind of worth it to get granular and it makes sense to bet more on a game if you're more confident in it. And so um, basically the way I did staking for baseball this year and, and have done in the past is I only bet on games where my model disagrees with the market by more than 5%. Mm-hmm. And then I stake an amount that is proportional to, like literally equal to that percentage. And some people like doing buckets, like they'll bet, if it's between 5 and 10%, they'll bet two units. If it's between 10 and 15, they'll bet three. If it's between 15 and 20, they'll bet four, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you have such a large and long season, for me, it just makes sense to be like superly, super linearly, just exactly proportional. Like you can just dial in to be literally, like you, you theoretically know what the edge is, or right? you have at least a way higher certainty in baseball than any other sport. And so you can bet that edge. Um, and so that's how I've done it. Uh, but there, there's legitimate arguments to different ways as well. Like at, at all of this is um, definitely just a trade-off between what your tolerance for risk is and like how much more you want to try to optimize growth with the trade-off of potentially screwing yourself. Um, like it, all, everything's always a trade-off. Completely. And so just to break this down, you know, and if if um, to go a little bit less in the weeds and dumb this down a little bit. The the point that we're trying to make here is, you know, a 16, 17 week NFL season is not a large sample size, despite the fact that it's a whole season. Um, that's that, you know, and baseball at 162 is just so much more of a sample size. So yes, you know, if you uh, attach or, um, you know, buy or quote unquote sell teams in the NFL over, you know, 16 games, as we've seen, um, you know, the market will eventually correct itself. It may take two to three to four years, but you know, professionals were ahead of the Jacksonville Jaguars, whatever it was, three, four years ago, betting them every single week, getting absolutely killed. The Cleveland Browns last week, last year, um, and now they're kind of, you know, making some of that that investment back. Just because the the, the season cutoff um, is, you know, 16 games, it doesn't necessarily, just because you think of it as a whole season, oh, that has to be a large enough sample size. It really doesn't, you know, happen that way. So it makes total sense. Um, and to bring this back around, again, talking about everything, all things modeling and social media, I want to really talk about this with you because I think it's um, one of the more important things and kind of the decision that you made um, uh, to basically share the, share the model uh, for free, despite endless amounts of social media trolls that come out during a losing week, month, day, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Um, and so I've, you know, I said this last week um, when I was doing the mailback episode that, you know, when people said, you know, oh, if you're so good, why don't you just bet more on your picks? Why do you sell your picks? Um, and my, my argument to that has always been, when you really think about this, you're asking somebody um, like yourself to, you know, spend 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever the case may be, hours, days, weeks, you know, sacrificing anything and everything that it takes to get an edge in this business. Um, so to put, you know, let's just call it 40 hours a week, um, you know, into this model, right? So daily, let's say four or five hours daily, not to mention film, all that type of stuff. Um, and they're asking to basically have it be handed to them for free. Um, and <laughs> so for people, you know, to have all the work done, uh, to reap those benefits, reap that reward for absolutely no work. Um, and then have the, the, the gall to, you know, call, you know, call people scams, call people scumbag, yeah. all this type of stuff. Um, you know, so what was kind of, or what is, I guess, as you continue to do so, I know you've kind of switched up things a little bit um, and making it, you know, a, a little bit, quote unquote, more work for, for the average person to find this stuff. Um, but how, you know, how have you kind of seen that, you know, handled that, all that type of stuff and led you ultimately to the decision to keep sharing all this type of stuff for free? 
Um, I guess because my reasoning for sharing sharing it was like literally just like an hour I put in the work and um, like those hours a week during the season that it's not really that much. Like I by hand I have been like following the lines and that's what I did during the season. But even next year, like that's gonna be easier. Like I um, I've built a tool that a script that just kind of tracks lines and notifies me when something reaches reaches a point of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess like my whole motivation was a, like, I, I didn't even really have one. <laughs> like, yeah. like I said, I was just, I was sharing it with my buddies. So I thought might as well like post this, to see if anyone else finds it helpful. Since then it, it's kind of evolved into like, um, I was never really involved in social media or saw any of like a lot of the bullshit that's spewed on here. Yeah. And so I think there's a space for me to, if you want to call it like quote unquote myth bust or just like explain like a lot of things that people get wrong here. I think there's a space for me to do like a little bit of educational stuff there. Um, and so I'm happy to share if, if my model, like a it's, it's damn cool getting the messages about like people I've helped out like in life and with money and everything, but be more importantly to me, if I've like educated someone or inspired them to like, think about the way they do this differently or even inspire them to like build their own model, then that's, that's really cool. Um, and something I'll keep doing. So yeah, <laughs> uh, to the point about trolls, uh, it's not, I mean, I never even had any social media before this, which is like super funny for all my friends that of all of us, I'm the one like doing stuff on social media now. Um, so like the first month or two, it was pretty weird to me. I was like, Oh, okay, this is strange. Um, and I like thought twice about like continuing doing it, but like by now I've learned just if they're really weird, block them and move on. I don't really pay any attention to them. Yeah, completely agree, man. Again, I just think it's it's very interesting to hear different people's answers when it comes to that because uh, let's call a spade a spade. There's just so much negativity um, out there. And again, somebody like you that came along, you know, you had a, whatever it was, three, four months, you know, clearing an unbelievable profit. Uh, the model struggled for uh, maybe it was even like two to three weeks. Um, and all of a sudden, um, people's perception completely change. Um, and so it's just, it's so weird to see how people, not weird, but it's just, it's so incredible to see the dynamic of social media because everyone has a voice, right? And it's, it's the vocal minority that kind of gets seen <laughs> and that type of stuff. And so it's just, it's so interesting to me to see kind of, you know, people's thought processes um, on that type of stuff. And so right. when you've, you know, one thing you have done un- undoubtedly by, by doing this and anyone has this advantage, you know, when they do post everything for, you know, quote unquote free, is you have the ability to, to build your brand unbiased, right? You can post absolutely everything. Um, and that's kind of you know how you build that brand. And you've done a couple of things that to kind of parlay that out, right? You've um, created the Sports Thoughts podcast um, with Jerry, who I really want to talk about next. I think it's it's kind of a unique thing to see uh, two people, you know, um, that have been friends to kind of do this thing so long um, together, as well as the weekly newsletter um, on betterup.com. So I wanted to kind of talk about all those things. But let's start with um, Jerry, Jerry Fang. And is someone that's really been kind of with you from the start of this uh, of the social media inception. Um, was you guys kind of friends all along or kind of what was the backstory and relationship of kind of the, um, you know, it's not really a partnership, I don't want to say, but just kind of, you know, having, um, you kind of built the website together, all that type of stuff, the podcast uh, together with Jerry, kind of how, how that relationship started and all that type of stuff to lead it to where it is right now. Yeah. So Jerry and I were roommates in college. Uh, I've known him for years and we kind of like, even in college, had just kind of gone back and forth about doing something kind of similar to this. And, uh, yeah, basically like he saw me starting to do this stuff, uh, on Twitter and Reddit with the baseball 
and saw like kind of an audience grow. And one random day, pretty sure this is in like June or July. So again, really recent, maybe just like, um, Hey, like people are starting to give a bleep about like what I have to say, mm-hmm. like, why, why don't we, uh, just start something where we literally just talk about sports and we give our thoughts. You can on swear, sports by the way, you don't have to say bleep. You can say <laughs> give right, a shit. <laughs> for sure. Um, so yeah, like it, the podcast is literally just us shooting the shit because we watch a ton of sports as mathematically inclined as I am. And as like nerdy as I may come across sometimes, like at my core, I still am totally a sports fan and like watch everything. And, um, I think there's like helpful perspectives that each of us can give on sports. And so, yeah, we have that podcast. We usually do two a week where we just cover games, talk about things we see, maybe like a high level topic about, um, like kind of that myth busting thing I was talking about, like talking about things that people get wrong a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, then bed it up. Like you mentioned is kind of on the other spectrum where I'm trying to be way more educational and sticking to sort of how modeling works for me going over some just really basic probability and statistics. Uh, I plan to like do a couple on like really basic programming for people who want to get into like scraping and scrubbing data. Um, and then like I'll, I'll basically until we got really busy with baseball playoffs, I was going through college football every week and kind of peeling back a layer at a time of how my model works without really giving away everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the plan with that. Both of those are free. You're welcome to uh, check them out if they interest you at all. So we're going to switch over to um, college football and the NFL and specifically this week to get to our consensus best bets and everything like that. But I really want to wrap this up, um, wrap up baseball up with the stance that you've taken on the Houston Astros and kind of uh, what, <laughs> because again, man, like I said, there, there's nobody that's a bigger Astro fan out there uh, than me last year. Um, and so uh, obviously I had to kind of roll that over and do this again because I think this team is uh, this is very special, right? There, there's maybe not a closer knit team. And again, not to say that I'm in the locker room, but things that I've heard and, and through mm-hmm. being able to have the context relationships I've had um, in Las Vegas and doing this full-time professionally, you know, this team is different um, in, in many different yeah. ways. And so um, I just want to get kind of your thoughts and kind of what, you know, led you to um, take the stance in the position that you uh, have on this Houston Astros team um, to win basically the World Series and, and everything else that um, that's that have accompanied, accompanied that this postseason um, with Houston and just kind of what the model led you to, um, you know, why the model led you there or if it was more kind of yourself and what you saw because I think that the one downside to modeling is the intangibles can't really be quantified, right? And so yeah, the type of stuff is a little definitely. bit different. So um, just kind of what that relationship was like and kind of what led you to take the stance that you did uh, for this year on the, betting on the Houston Astros to win the World Series. All right, I'm going to push back a little on what you said about no one being a bigger fan last year with your 10 to 1 because I had quite a good amount on 14 to 1. Oh, so, you got uh, me beat, huh? I did. I did, <laughs> I did. Yeah, but you know what? I did have Altuve at 8 to 1, so I basically cashed 18 to 1. Um, yeah, so I uh, the model thinks they're by far the best team in baseball. And, and I think that's the, the thing is with all of these projection systems – even if you disagree with like the way mine work, if you look at base runs, which is like one of the best team level sabermetrics, um, team rankings, Pythagorean expectation, like anything that's more <laughs> sophisticated or advanced than just like basic naive uh, win loss record. Like if you look at baseball perspective, baseball perspectives, they have first order win percentage, second, third, hitless factor, adjusted hitless factor. These are all like way more clever ways of. Um, evaluating a team 
And all of them have the Ashers, not just as the best, but far and away the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you go into like different subsections, like they have the pitching, like this is the best strikeout pitching staff in history, like 140 plus year history of the sport. Um, the lineup is not just really talented, but extremely deep and possibly more importantly, extremely versatile. They, they have a lot of hitters who can hit a lot of different pitchers. And yeah, like you said um, about models sometimes missing things, the, the reason I was particularly interested in the Astros this year and particularly confident in the edge is, yes, my model had them favored and had some value on them, but I believe there's like overwhelming extra reasons to think that even the model is underrating them. Um, when you just watch the season, uh, like you, I was a big Astros fan last year. And so I watched a ton of their games this year, almost every one. And, um, it just, (laughs) as dumb as it sounds watching through eyes, it just never really seemed other than like this three weeks stretch in May or June, they never really were clicking or gelling. Yeah. And to have all of the underlying stats say, even though they never played that well, they were still way better than everyone, which is really encouraging to me. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I stand. Uh, I can check right now. I, I think I saw them around plus 190 earlier today. I think even that, there is like a pinch of value, or at least close to break even. Yeah, so but, the series uh, price, um, let's go break this down. Astros minus 160 um, on the series price after Cole dropping from, I think it was minus 240. Um, and then as we break down the World Series at the Westgate right now, they are... Yeah, I think it was plus one um, World Series is. Astros are, yep, plus 160 currently. The same thing on mybookie.ag. Okay, so nothing there left anymore. But um, yeah, that like they were priced as like plus 600 for most of the year, which I thought was absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, there's a lot of reasons to like the team. But anyone who's following me on Twitter has probably already heard that and is sick and, <laughs> sick and tired of me preaching about this team. Uh, never get sick and tired of somebody preaching money, man. And again, you did something that I think was so smart and, you know, it was basic buy low, sell high. And, and you really nailed this to a T talking about how they're basically going to play 500 ball or below with Correa, Altuve, um, Springer, all those guys were out um, and the market took a dip. And um, to be able to capitalize on that type of stuff is really what separates, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to make significant amount of money, a significant amount of money and get ahead of the market, um, both long and short term. So props to you for, for grabbing that up, man. Again, I, I think this, I'm with you. Look, I, I was born in Boston, spent 27 years there. I was, you know, born and bred a Red Sox fan. But at the end of the day, when you do this full time, you, you got to kind of sell your soul here um, at some <laughs> point. You know, thankfully with, with New England, I've been able to kind of, you know, be able to be betting on them and, and enjoying them. Um, but to me, this this Houston team is really prime for something special as long as they can kind yeah. of keep it together and, and I know salary and all that type of stuff. But this team is, I think, the type of team that takes, you know, hometown discounts to stay together, all that type of stuff. So they, you know, the 162-game season is, is very long, but I just wanted to kind of your what, – what kind of led you to take that stance on? And we're going to move over. Can I make one more point? Of course. I think it is like a, a cool high-level thing just to talk about with futures yeah. is when you're investing in a team over like a longer term like that, Uh, I also additionally like to look at the actual franchise and organization. And like you're just saying, they are so well run in 2018. It's shocking that this is possible given how smart teams are now, but they still discernibly have such a large um, analytical advantage over all the other teams in how they're constructed as a roster, but even simple stuff like they shift almost an order of magnitude more than all the other teams. The way they 
manufacture run like run production and the way they create run prevention through like managerial decisions and strategical moves is like an organizational level thing that again i don't think my model sufficiently captures and like you said like they're totally first class in the way they do all of that and that's even just like another thing to consider in any sport is when you're paying on like a future for a team you should also at least partially consider how the team is actually run at like a high level because you're going to be on them for like several months theoretically so yeah completely. sorry to cut you off no 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 i think i can man as i said i want you to kind of talk about anything and everything that comes to mind is kind of um when it comes to modeling men so again please feel free to always interrupt me and bring that up um i want to is there anything else you kind of want to talk about um when it comes to baseball before we kind of flip the switch are you looking to kind of incorporate the model into any other sports college basketball nba um really anything and everything before we flip over to football uh all my models are totally different in nature so if we want to move on to the other ones let's let's finish baseball there Okay, cool, man. So we'll flip over to um, the NFL, and then, of course, we're going to get down with our consensus best bet. But before we do that, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. If you are a new customer, enter promo code SGP100 for up to a $1,000 bonus in free play. And if you need a reload, SGP50, 50% reload bonus. We're also brought to you by Odd Shark. Get free picks from the supercomputer and expert writing staff, as well as data-driven editorial content that you cannot and will not find anywhere else. Follow them on Twitter at Odd Shark and check them out at oddshark.com. And lastly, we're brought to you by BetQL. BetQL is the only mobile app that gives you the best chance to beat Vegas, and now NFL lines are available in the app. Easily track line movement, see which team the public is backing, and as always, go to betql.co to download the only app you need to outsmart Vegas today. There's from their makers of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy optimizer trusted over by 100,000 DFS players. You get down with Oddshark, Barry? Sorry, you cut off there. Can you ask that again? I said, do you get down with Odd Shark? Because I think it's one of the most, tool, the one of the best tools out there for long term record keeping um, that many people may not realize. Have you um, checked out kind of their stuff over there? Dude, I'm gonna be totally honest. I'm so new to like this whole industry, and I've done so much on my own for the last three years. I learn about a new thing like this every day. So. I'm sorry if it sounds ignorant, but I, no, I've no. never checked it out. I think it, it, Odd Shark is one of the greatest companies out there because basically they take the long-term market perspective. They don't it's not uh-huh. necessarily a picks, you know, somewhere that is picks providing, um, but they keep every, you know, if you want to know how a pitcher did, any pitcher in baseball, for first five inning, first five innings under, first five innings money line, run line, they keep track of all that stuff. It's just a huge database. Um, oh, cool. So it's it's one of the best things out there. But let's um, let's flip over to football, man. So you talked about kind of what philosophically your um, you know the the stance of kind of what the model does when it comes to baseball, and then you just said that each model is kind of different when it comes to different sports. What are the biggest? I guess we'll. We'll group NFL and NCAA together a little bit, um, but just talk football as a whole and kind of the biggest uh, differences when it comes to college football, NFL, and sure. baseball. So I actually, I probably didn't do a good job of explaining baseball. At, at a really high level, baseball is just, um, the way I do it and the way like Joe Pita describes in training bases is a baseball team really can be good at two things, run production and run prevention. And that's really all that matters. If you can come up with a good way for projecting that for every team, you're probably going to be pretty good. Um, In football, it's true to an extent, right? You want to produce points and you want to prevent points, but there's way more added layers of complexities with personnel and scheme that don't really exist in baseball. 
because in baseball, like every batter is always trying to get on base and every pitcher is always trying to get him out. Like there's only so much stylistic differences you can account for in baseball. Um, in football, there's a lot of, I guess, like matchup advantages and also just like the way the game is played play after play after play and drive after drive is pretty unique compared to baseball. So the way I do football is similar to like a lot of more modern stuff with football outsiders um, or other people who look at like play success and drive success is it comes up with basically some way to rate the efficiencies of a team's offense, defense, and special teams. Um, I do that by like going through the play-by-play data for every game. And it, it basically assigns, for anyone familiar with leverage index, Mm-hmm. Uh, from baseball, it basically creates its own version of that for football, and it can then value like how impressive the outcome of a certain play was. So, classic example is like a, a two-yard run on third and one in a tied game late in the game against a really good team is really impressive compared to a two-yard run on like first and fifteen yeah. in a, like the end of a blowout against a bad defense shouldn't really be. Yeah, it kind of digs into the the thought process behind DVOA and measuring when things are actually successful. Exactly. Like the the high level point there is it just tries to account for context. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's not too far off from what I assume a lot of people do. Yep. Where I get probably a little bit more differentiated is I actually have a little bit similar to baseball as a player projection system for all players. And in football, it's way harder to get like the granularity there is in baseball. And so instead of coming up with like a point value for a player down to like 0.01 points, it, it's basically just trying to group players into clusters of four tiers pretty much, which is like elite players that really move the line, um, good players who move it like not zero, but uh, not a ton, mm-hmm. players who are pretty much like meaningless, and then players who are negative. And there's not too many of those, but basically it, it just tries to bucket players into those. Nathan Peterman? And <laughs> he's in his own fifth bucket after <laughs> really bad. Um, but yeah, so I, I have some accounting for who's on the field. Um, one other thing I do that's, I think, unique as far as I can tell is based on who it favors just off of the pure efficiency ratings and the players available, it will then adjust for kind of like an an expected game script. So like a classic example is army or Navy. Um, if <laughs> yes. you're unfamiliar teams that are good at running the ball. Yes. Typically when they're favored, their rushing advantage over the other team is typically an underpriced asset because if the game's going to be expected to have them in the lead, them being able to run the ball and ice the game late is more meaningful than if they were an underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, where it would actually hurt them because they're so bad at passing. If they're going to be expected to come from behind, it'll be more difficult for them. And so none of that's huge because, again, it's volatile. We don't know how the game's going to go, but there's a, a little bit of pricing in there, and I think that makes a good amount of difference. So um, those are sort of like a few of the higher-level principles I have. And there's some other, like, uh, one thing I do is uh, that I don't do in baseball at all is every home field is different for me. So um, travel. Uh, distance traveled has has proven to be correlated with performance. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, and then each stadium has its own, uh, like like some NFL stadiums produce a 
uh, unequal amount of procedural penalties by the opponent. So that's so uh, next. As level. you might I guess, like <laughs> like like Seattle and Kansas City, like stadiums like that, um, there's a little bit stronger. Just literally, the stadium is worth a little bit more. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of things I do. Uh, that's not everything, but those are some like the main points I feel like probably give me a little bit of value compared to the market. Yeah. And it's again, last week talking about the mailbag episode, one thing that I, you know, I was talking about the differences between basically the old guard and the new guard when it comes to handicappers and handicapping. And so it's, it's kind of an outdated thing that to think, just think that every team gets three points uh, in football for a home field advantage. Um, if you think that, you know, a it's called the chargers at 10 AM and, you know, LSU at home at night is the same whole field advantage. Um, I, I think you're crazy. And so that it, it's kind of, it's something that's, you know, I think a lot more people take into account different home field advantages now, um, especially, you know, at night. And I think it's far more prevalent um, in college football when it comes to um, the National Football League, uh, for sure. Um, I think uh, one thing I, I actually kind of buried the lead here with you, and I really wanted to uh, um, put this in here is kind of the success that you've been able to have when it comes to football this year. And looking at this college football currently 20 on the season, 24, 10 and one at 70.6% NFL against the spread, 16, 10 and four, 61 and a half percent overall ATS, 40, 20 and five at 66.7%. Um, and so, you know, I think that the quote unquote trolls or detractors out there are going to say it's a, it's a short term sample size. Um, you know, you're due for regression. And all that type of stuff that trolls are notoriously uh, for saying <laughs> out there. Um, you know, when you have this level of success, I think that it may be um, fair to expect, you know, regression in some form, just because I think hitting 70% in college football is extremely difficult over a season. Um, but when you do this, do you adjust for kind of, you know, obviously you're finding inefficiencies in the market, right? You're finding a solid edge, especially in college football at 70%. And again, NFL still at 61%. Do you kind of, you know, make this a running thing when you look at and say, you know, there's specific situations that this model is just absolutely killing and getting right. Um, and when you look at, you know, those 10 losses, for example, you look and look back and kind of see um, what the model didn't account for, or was it just a mm-hmm. fluke or what that type of situation was kind of looking next level at the wins and losses, both in the NFL and college football? Sure. So I guess a couple of things for full transparency, I, I haven't placed a single bet on the NFL this year. Those are just my top five uh, model disagreements each week. Mm-hmm. If you had bet them, that those would be what the results are. Um, and so because like I'm way more plugged into college, I, I'm, I'm going to stick to just talking about that, uh, about your question about sustainability. Yep. Um, <laughs> not to be a douche, but those are, again, just the results of the top five. So of games that have actually crossed my betting threshold, uh, they're actually 53 and 22, Unbelievable. Uh, which I, I think is like the same same win rate close to it's like 71 percent. But it's just expanded over a larger sample. Mm-hmm. Um shockingly this will come across as so arrogant but like there's not a ton of statistical explanation for regression it i analyze every game basically as how should i say like if the game were played again one week from then with the exact same players would the model still bet on that team and a lot of the losses actually fit in that category so um it's actually still like, and that's not to say like all the losses are bad beats. Of course they're not. And a lot of the wins I'm sure have been lucky wins. Mm-hmm. It, it's just to say that it's, um, it's calculating when there is an edge for a team to cover. And I have high disagreements there and over like 70 something games. Now it's done really well. Um, it's, 
it's possible. I think one cause for this might be something I changed it a little bit this year, which was making red zone efficiencies on offense and defense um, more meaningful. So basically, like it wasn't expecting that to be completely random before, but it, it was probably expecting that to be way more luck based than skill based. Mm-hmm. And this year, there is a little bit of evidence that showed me that. Uh, while it's not like completely luck free, that there is like a little bit of uh, predictive nature to that actually being a skill, and so that that could be something. Is I think a lot of the teams I've bet on this year have done really well at scoring touchdowns in the red zone and preventing touchdowns. Yep. Um, Threes and the sevens, and vice versa. You know, case in point being yeah. Atlanta and the Saints. Those yeah, types exactly. Of games. Yeah. What's the biggest difference that you found in the model when, I know, again, not to have to give away kind of what the model does, but the biggest differences when it comes to college uh, versus the NFL in terms of different things that, um, you know, just differences that, you know, one applies more to one or less than the one uh, towards the other when it comes to NFL and college football. Um, well, if anything, if like, it's not, if it's yeah. nothing, then. So first off, freshmen and like grad transfers and stuff for sure is like really weird. Um, they're really difficult for me to price. And so the way I do it, which I don't think is perfect is basically it calculates a like consensus number on every freshman recruiting class based on literally like ESPN rivals, like all these people. And so, yes, I'm trusting like some quote unquote expert. It's like subjective opinion about some 18 year old, which, um, whatever. And, and that's, that's like totally volatile. And, um, not at all perfect. And I would love to have a better way to do it, but there's really no better way. And, um, frankly, these, these ratings actually aren't terrible. Like people will always point out like, Oh, like Khalil Mack was a two star in high school. These idiots got him wrong. Well, yeah, but they, they actually do fairly well year after year in projecting performance in college and even guys making it to the pros as well as you could honestly reasonably expect. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do that. And when there is like a higher level of freshman production on a team, the volatility in my football models goes up. And so not to go on too much of an nerdy tangent, but basically in football, unlike baseball, where I'm calculating the probability of a team winning in football, I'm creating a probability distribution of winning margins for a team. And so the um, like standard deviation or like how far thinly spread the distribution is would change if there's a lot of freshmen or not a lot of freshmen. So that, that's like one college difference. For sure. What, um, so I, I've been asking this basically to every, every guest I have on when I talk about kind of what my thesis statement has been in the NFL going back about three years. Uh, and that's my theory that the spread is dead and the spread is dying. And I feel like the old school, um, you know, quote unquote power ranking guys um, are, are struggling because they, they don't adapt. Um, and so was, um, I guess, number one, are you, have you seen kind of what I've put out there uh, regarding the spread being dead in the NFL? Are you talking about like just betting money lines for underdogs and uh, laying points for favorites? Yeah. So basically over the last three to four years, um, when a favorite wins, they cover the game 85% of the time. When an underdog covers, they win the game outright 81% of the time. Over the last three to four years, the spread has mattered two games or less every single week. And there was a couple outliers where it was three to four games. Um, But basically 
again, even expanding this out to the, towards this year, the spread has mattered two games or less. I think this this week was three, um, depending on where a couple of closing numbers were. Um, but basically, every single week in the NFL, the spread has mattered two games, two to three games or less. Um, is it something that you've kind of even noticed? And again, what speaking of this, you know, basically the thought process is um, there's two games a week that the spread's going to come into account. So instead of teasing games, um, you know, you can use the money line, like you said, on underdogs to reduce your break-even point. Um, it's just basically saying that, you know, the thought process that I came up with is basically the parity is kind of a little bit less in the NFL. The other thing that comes into play is that the NFL, the, the winning margin, the average winning margin in the NFL over the last four years is basically 11 points, yet you're seeing very, very few, you know, 10 and above uh uh, points spread underdogs are favorites in the NFL. And so the really, the good teams are really good. The bad teams are really bad. And so basically the way that I, you know, in short handicap games is basically I handicap every single game as a pick. Um, and if I, you know, I have a key number that I essentially will lay or take, if it's above that, you know, I take the money line on the underdog, that type of thing and that type of situation. Got it. Um, is there anything that is kind of, um, you've come across or kind of agree, disagree with that? Um, I think the high level theory of, like quote unquote selling points or in baseball selling runs, which this is not the exact question you asked, but mm-hmm. it's something I totally love, which is like, it sounds like if you have value on an underdog, theoretically, right? Like if it's a small underdog to be bettable, then you're expecting them to win. And so there's more than likely going to be greater value on the money line there than the spread, which I, I totally, I dig, I agree with. Um, and that's something I do in baseball. Like if I'm projecting value on a team, then I'm I'm projecting them probably to win by more runs than the market's expecting them to. And so like I'll actually sell quote unquote like sell back runs. So like mm-hmm. bet on a team to win by more than one run or in football. Alternative point um, spreads type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like I do that in football. And that's like one of the advantages I think to having a distribution on every game is because I can calculate the probability for literally every single point spread or margin or money line, whatever is offered, I can calculate a number for it. Um and so, yeah, a lot of times it is I trade points to get like a better payout, better odds on a number. And um, oftentimes I like move to, like up towards a key number. So if I want to bet on a favorite minus five, I'll just lay, lay minus six, six and, and a half. half or, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And get like plus money there. Um, stuff like that. So, yeah, like I think we're on the same page there. Completely. Awesome. And um, so, well, again, I want to get you out of here. So I wanna, we're going to break down basically the... Um, the best bets that you have for the weekend, it can be, um, I basically had a consensus best bet for each um, person on during the season as, as their best one. Um, but I want to give you kind of the floor. Is there anything else you want to talk about as a whole when it comes to modeling uh, either football, um, baseball, and those are the ones that you kind of um, do, but if you're looking to expand out into any other sports or anything uh, you could kind of teach or tell people when it comes to kind of, you know, the beginning stages of creating a model or using one throughout a season. I want to say to please, please don't be discouraged or overwhelmed by like when I use these fancy words about how mine use like neural networks and perceptron <laughs> algorithms and all this nerdy shit. Like you don't need to be as complex as I do. I I'm like totally a nerd at heart and I love math. And so I do it this way, but I totally believe you can get good results being way more naive and way more simple. And yeah. so like, if you've been hesitant at all, you don't need a math degree. You don't need a CS degree. I, I still really encourage you to come up with at least some like naive, really basic starting point of a number for a game. Um, and that could literally just be like take net yards per play and like compare them for two teams and use some like multiplier to normalize it towards a point spread. If that's 
like literally just like two steps of arithmetic just so you have a starting point and then you can add on and do like handicapping stuff. But just, I, I definitely encourage you um, to not be overwhelmed or think you need to be like a hyper nerd to do this. Like there's a tons of ton of ways to do this with like really simple math. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. So let's do, um, again, I know we're recording this super early in the week. Do you have, um, kind of a couple games that your model, uh, really looks, uh, in either or both, uh, NFL or college football, or is it just one or the other right now? I'll stick to college. And I, I do for transparency. I need to make sure to say that we're recording this on a Monday and my model will not update until tomorrow morning. So these could change, but the disagreement is so big right now that I'd be shocked if there's still not value on these teams. All right. Um, so let's do this. Let's point out, um, shine a light on two games that your model absolutely loves. And then if there's one that you like more than the other, we'll release that as the inside Vegas consensus best bet. And kind of just the thought process and what, you know, the model looks at, um, that it has such a big disparity between Vegas's line. Um, and that is leading you to make a bet on these two games for college football. Okay. Number one would be Kentucky minus 11 in college football. Tell me, um, what does the model look at or favor? What's the dif- disagreement there? So this is always a really hard question for me because I don't know. Like I can only guess based on how much football I watch. Okay. Um, like <laughs> to that to that qu- question, the answer is always my model thinks Kentucky's really good and thinks Vanderbilt's awful. <laughs> like that's yeah. always going to be the answer, um, and it, it thinks those things more so than the market does. Um, I think possibly one thing is Vanderbilt has for Vanderbilt standards, won a few more games than potentially they usually do, at least at this point in the season. Um, But when you look closer, like a lot of them came against not so impressive teams. Like, let me pull up. They beat Tennessee State, um, Middle Tennessee, and Nevada, who are three really bad teams in my model. Um, And a lot of their other losses, and even those wins uh, project, I guess, as like slightly fluky. Not not fluky, but... uh, less impressive than the final score indicates. Right. And then when you look at the losses, even last week, they lost to Florida by 10. But as someone who bet on Florida last week, they, uh, they were sleepwalking the first. Honestly, sleepwalking gives them too much credit. They, they had to be <laughs> awake and actively trying to fuck up that bad to uh, wow. put, the, put up the performance they did in the first half. Um, and Florida still covered. Uh, so they basically had an overwhelming amount of play success. And there's a lot of... Um, underlying stats, I guess, that suggest Vanderbilt's, you know, still Vanderbilt, even mm-hmm. though they're three and three or three and four, whatever they are. Yep. Um, so if, if I had to guess, I would say that that side in my model is more of a Vanderbilt fade than a Kentucky buy. Yep. Though I, I, as a fan of college football, I really do like Kentucky. They have uh, yeah, Benny more Snell than a couple. Is, is an absolute baller, man. Yeah, that team has the, been absolutely great all year. The best players that edge rusher, Josh Allen, yep. who does not suck. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that that would be the the first pick. Awesome. What's the second one? Well, this will be the consensus best bet for us too. Um, let me just make sure. So it's it's kind of a tie. I'll just give out both. We're okay. giving out uh, all kinds of value here on the pod. We got uh, Appalachian State minus twenty four, and Buffalo is it plus two right now. It, it makes Buffalo favored by a good amount. So if they're catching any points, yep, it's Buffalo edible. plus two. Okay. Buffalo plus two will be the second one. Um, yeah. If I had to guess that one's a little bit more of a buy on Buffalo. Um, and then the app state one, I would guess is both. It's quite 
it's been a fan of Appalachian State. It's bet on them two or three times this season. Yep. And it's bet against UL Lafayette two or three times uh, for like the same reasons. It it looks at play success. So it's looking at, I guess there's one more final high, like high level point about football is um, explosion is way less predictive than efficiency. And so like, in other words, if you have 320 yards in a game, but it came from four 80 yard touchdowns, <laughs> that's way less predictive than if you had 320 yards in a game, but it came from like 32 10 yard gains. Yeah. And um, so it's hard to quantify this because there's teams that live by that, right? The Oklahoma's yeah. of the world, uh, Baylor's, you know, in, in years past, it's kind of like they've built an offense or this is, you know, it, again, talking with different kind of modeling handicappers. It's so funny that you said it's been on app state. Um, I know for whatever reason, there's a couple teams that model based handicappers. They're on a lot of the same sides, despite, you know, the differences in the model. I think Hawaii is one that's notorious this year. Uh, App State was the other one. But how do you kind of quantify when you talk about explosive plays, um, teams that are built around the explosive play, right? The Oklahoma, um, you know, Baylor, like I said, does that kind of go into it? Um, or is it more just the fact that at the end of the day, uh, even though they're looking for that big play constantly, uh, so in theory, obviously there's going to be more of them. Um, is that a little bit di- different of a handicap when you talk about a team that has, you know, explosive plays, but not consistent. Yeah, when I say it's less predictive, I don't mean it's not predictive at all. Um, it just will tend to favor itself towards more repeatable, uh, predictable things like a, an efficient offense. And so um, the big plays count as much as like a really good successful play because it's a successful play. But because the result of a really big 80-yard touchdown is worth so many points and because the result is so impactful on the scoreboard um it sometimes overweights the process of how they got to that result whereas uh like a lot of my research shows that more sustainable offense is repeated um efficient success um so yeah app state i guess has been really good at that i'll be honest i've only watched two of their games the two team last week and then i think week one against penn state were the two times that I bet on them. I, I came away fairly impressed. They got a real quarterback, so they're uh, they'll be one of my picks this week. I love it, man. Um, trying to think, of anything else you want to touch on? I know we spent a little more time on college football. Um, why do you? I guess we'll uh, kind of lead or end with this. What is the reason that um, that you're not kind of taking positions based on the NFL? Um, what the model is predicting with NFL, even though it's been so successful. Yeah. Um, so. Unlike college football, where I've had, other than the top five, it's had a ton of success outside of that. NFL, to be transparent, has been uh, pretty bad, other than the five that I've shared every week. Like, I think, I forget it was week two or week three, but the sides of the model went three and 13. I had a couple other, like, fairly bad weeks. And I'm just seeing, it knows, for instance, as is everyone in its, like, sports analytics, that offense is way more predictive than defense. Um, I fear that the league environment in the NFL has gotten to a point where it's disproportionately more important. Like, like to this season, Christian, who would you say hat is like been consistently good at defense? Like, I guess the Ravens. Yeah, I was going to say. Is is there a good defense (laughs) after them? Like Uh, the Vikings, even Jacksonville allowing. Yeah, Jacksonville allowing thirty-one to to against Lindham, the Clapper. Yeah, I mean. It's scary to me how how much I think my model weights defense versus how much my eyes are telling me how little it matters this season, at least so far. And maybe it's a blip in time. Um, 
again, I just, I've said this before, <laughs> even though um, this is kind of like one of my main sources of income, I'm actually very risk averse. And so I, uh, if I have any inkling to believe that my NFL model is not as effective as it has been the last three years, then I'm going to stay away. Yep. So that's like the main reason. I love it, man. Um, again, weekly newsletter where you could find all the plays, all the selections from the model is on bettedup.com. Free to sign up. Absolutely free content, man. Um, you're doing so many, so many great things um, in the space as well as the Sports Thoughts podcast with Jerry. Is there anything else that I can, um, I want to give you the floor to plug kind of anything and everything where people can find you again, as always on Twitter at BarryHorse29. But um, again, I want to give you the floor to kind of plug everything and everything you have going on in the space because you're doing such an amazing job with everything that you are doing. You did it all for me, homie. I'll just say, uh, do me a favor. And if you're listening to this, and if you're so lucky to have them around still, then just call one of your parents for me and tell them, hi, I love you. That that, that's the, what you can do for a favor. I don't, I don't need to follow. <laughs> do that for me. That is the nicest answer I think I've ever heard <laughs> on any podcast, bro. I absolutely love it, man. Enjoy Houston. Enjoy the the run that is the Houston um, Astros and being there firsthand, man. So, so cool. Um, again, um, Things coming up with you in Vegas, so I'm sure we'll meet up at some point, bro. But again, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Um, again, I, I know we're very busy at this time of year with uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, NCAA, and NFL. So I can't thank you enough, man. We'll link up soon. But thank you so much for taking the time, bro. All right, brother. You good. <laughs> Finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.